Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Back in 2006, I created this space for all of us, a place where people can share their authentic backstage truth behind the struggles and their successes. When we realize we all have struggles and success, It is easier for us to keep going and be relentless in our pursuits instead of giving up on ourselves. Today, I'm so excited to share with you my new guest co-host. Gosh, I just love having these conversations and thank you for letting me know how much they make a difference in your life. Karen Walrand is a speaker, photographer, and author. She's been a guest on the show before as we discussed her personal journey from being the chief counsel and chief of staff of a Fortune 200 company to becoming an entrepreneur and creating a life that is in line with her values and priorities. I'm so excited that we're going to have conversations together weekly. And today we're going to talk about permission and boundaries. Some of my favorite topics, enjoy the conversation and I'll circle back at the end. Thanks for listening. Karen, hello and welcome back. Great to be here. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about boundaries and permission And you had a great blog post, which I'll link in the show notes, about you giving yourself permission. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah. So I'm in the middle of a huge um, uh, speaking season for myself. I do a lot of public speaking. And uh, since about uh, mid-August and through December, I'm pretty much going every week. And I had just come back. I did a day trip from Houston to Minneapolis, which honestly I didn't realize could be done. (laughs) But but I had done this crazy trip last Saturday and, um, you know, left at like 4.30 in the morning and came back just before midnight that night. And, you know, Sunday, we were busy with Sunday stuff. And so Monday, I'm back to work. And I, you know, I did what I normally do. I got up, got my kid off to school, went to the gym, um, came back home and was a complete mess. Like I just was in a fog. I couldn't focus. Um, I'm usually pretty good about getting a good night's sleep and that night was no exception. So I couldn't figure out really what was going on. Like, and I didn't feel ill. You know, I thought first I thought, well, am I getting sick? And I thought, no, I feel fine. I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting a cold. I'm just really, really tired. And I kept trying to power through and power through and, you know, I'd be like, okay, well, let me write. I'll write something. And so I'd pull up something to write and then just stare at the screen. I'm like, okay, uh, how about if I read, do a little research, you know, and I kept trying to do things. And just would be staring. And so finally, at like, you know, about one o'clock, I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go back to bed. And I'm just going to take, I'll just take a 20 minute like disco nap, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe that's all I need is I just something to take the edge off. Um, and so I crawled back into bed feeling horrible, like, you know, going through the whole shame thing in my head about how lazy I am, and there's things to do. And this was the life I wanted by God, I didn't want to work in an office anymore. So I should just suck it up. Like I'm thinking all of this in my head, set the alarm for 20 minutes, go to sleep, the alarm goes off in 20 minutes. And I'm like, Oh, no, I need another 20 minutes. And I did it three times, like I had a full hour. And at the end of the hour, I woke up and I was still tired. And I was like, I don't get it. And then finally, it sort of dawned on me that I hadn't had 
a weekend. Like I hadn't had two days off in like three weeks. And it had been a month since I'd had two days off at home. Like the, the three weeks earlier, my family and I had gone somewhere, which is its own stress, right? You're packing everything up to go somewhere and pack back. So I hadn't really just had a quiet two days at home in a month. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to call yesterday. So it was, this was Monday. So I'm going to call Sunday, Saturday, and I'm going to call today, Monday, Sunday, and I'm not going to do anything. Like this is my weekend. I'm going to do it. So I like, I didn't go back to sleep, but like I pulled up a book that I had nothing to do with work. And I, I saw a couple of emails come in that needed resp responding to like pretty immediately. And I thought, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to take that can wait till the morning. I will do it. And what was amazing about it, right? You know, and I, it wasn't like a complete slug. Like I still got up and got my kid from school. Like, you know, like they, I still did the things that had to be done, but I had nothing. I refused to do anything that was work related. You know, but, and in between, I would, like, I went and picked up my kid. And then when I got home, I got back in bed and started reading my book. <laughs> like, like I kept, kept going back to bed and just being like, I'm going to be relaxed. And what was amazing about it is the next day I woke up and I was more productive on Tuesday than I had been in, in a month. I would, I, I got up, I did my stuff. I was focused. I was awake. I did my work. It was amazing. And it was such a really great lesson to me about, um, sort of how I'm a, I'm tied to this, what I think I should be doing and what I think responsibilities were. And it was a great lesson to kind of listen to my own intuition and to my body and go, you know what, this isn't going to work today. Like, <laughs> like, like this isn't a work and listening to your body and listening to what you need to do to take care of yourself is not selfish. And if anything, it's actually responsible. It's actually what I was hoping for myself, what I had been beating myself up about as I crawled into bed was ridiculous because I was actually doing the responsible thing. So it was such a really weird thing for me. So what were the stories in your head about what you should be doing? Oh, um, oh, I think I went into a wonderful shame spiral. Like, <laughs> like, like I was shaming for America there. You know, I went, <laughs> I went into Olympic shaming. I, you know, it was sort of, um, I'm lazy. Uh, I am, uh, I'm irresponsible. I, uh, I'm letting myself down. Um, anything that had gone wrong in my life over the last year, I mean, minor things, it could be anything. I was telling myself, well, it's no wonder those things go wrong. If at the first sign of having to push through, you just crawl into bed. Um, so I just, I had gone into this whole, something is, something is wrong with me. And, it, and, and not like a physical, what was interesting to me was I didn't go to, maybe I'm getting ill, right? Like it, and I knew I wasn't and I'm, I'm, I'm not, but I would have thought that I would have been like, oh no, like something's wrong. It was much more of a, no, I, I need this. And that's a bad thing. It's bad. If I'm not feeling any physical symptoms, like physical, like a cold or a headache or a fever, then I should just buck up and get on with life. And Anything else was um, falling short of the standards that I had set myself, I guess. And what are those standards? Oh, that I'm, come on, that I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely perfect. What? <laughs> what? No, like, what, what is that? <laughs> that I'm, I'm invincible. What? Like, that, that's my standards, that I do everything perfectly. <laughs> well, yeah, I should be able to travel. I should be able to do this, get my daughter, go to the gym, keep going like the Energizer Bunny. 
And that was the other thing was like, maybe I'm getting old and, you know, like, I'm like, I'm young. I, you know, it was just this whole thing about, yeah, Karen, you know, the, this sort of devil on your shoulder, right? You think you're young and you think you can do this, but clearly you can't. Clearly you're not, you know, what you thought you were. Um, which is, you know, in hindsight, re- asinine. Like, I, w- I was going to say ridiculous, but like it's beyond ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of asinine. It's, you know, it's sort of like, and Karen, you're human. Like you're, you're human. You're allowed to be human. That's okay. Um, and it was such a, it was, it, what was it, such the great lesson for me was that, one, I'm proud of myself that I succumbed, right? Mm-hmm. That I was like, no, I'm, I gotta, I, I gotta take a rest. But that also that the day after was so great and so productive for me that I didn't lose sight of the fact that probably it was great because I stopped, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I took the time, um, and it may, it means something. It, it, it means something, and you know, your intuition is rarely wrong. So, mm-hmm. or mine is anyway, is rarely wrong. So, so I can- need to trust it more. Karen, how were you able to be in that shame spiral where you can just beating yourself up and then go, wait, mm. time out. I need to go rest. How are you able to do that? Because a lot of times people have a hard time doing that in that moment. You know, uh, that's such a good question. That's such a good question. Um, I am generally pretty shame resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tend to be the kind of person like, like it's not my nature to beat myself up like that. And so I think that's what kind of triggered me. It was like, wait a minute, I don't do this, right? Like this mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't something I generally do. So, um, so for me, it was such a, uh, it was, it was sort of a wake up call that I was doing it at all. I was like, what, what am I doing? This is not how I tend to do things. I tend to be pretty, um, pretty, pretty level-headed. And also the other thing, the, the thing actually, I guess, that's, that helps me be shame resilient is I learned a long time ago that I was generally far kinder to friends mm-hmm. than I am to myself. And so a lot of things that help me, is, uh, something that helps me a lot is when I'm going through that, I go, what would I tell my best friend if she told me she felt like how I'm feeling right now? Mm. Right? Um, so if my best friend came to me and said, man, I am not focusing. I'm exhausted. I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, I immediately would be like, why don't you take a nap? You know, like it'll be there in an hour. Just take a nap and see if you feel better. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. and that where that might've not been my first go-to reaction for me, I know immediately that that's exactly what I would do for somebody that I loved would be like, you know, you, you're working hard and you, you clearly your body's telling you something, go take a nap. And that's been really helpful for me um, in almost everything is to kind of take myself out of myself. Um, sometimes journaling helps, like pretend I'm writing a letter to somebody who feels exactly like I feel right now. And what would I say to that person? Mm-hmm. But it's not me. It's somebody else. Um, that helps a lot. That helps you sort of distance yourself because generally you're not going to go to your best friend and say, wow, you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Like you would not do that to your friend, right? You would not be like, whoa, you, you know, gosh, you look horrible or, you know, and if you did say something like that, if you did see your best friend, wow, you're not looking good. It would be couched in love. It'd be like, you're not looking good. You need to take care of yourself. You need to stop. You need to take a break. You need to rest. You need to whatever, right? You would be, you would say those things with love. And so that's always a really helpful way for me to kind of stop beating myself up and kind of step out and treat myself 
the way my best friend, I would want my best friend to treat me. Because, I mean, who's your best? You should be your own best friend, I think. So that's a great question. I'm, I, I've never really thought about that. So thank you for helping me process that out loud. But that's definitely what I do. Why do you think it's hard for ourselves to treat ourselves with love, but we can do it for other people? Oh, um, our parents, <laughs> you know, I'm saying that, but I'm saying that very tongue in cheek. I have great parents, but it's just, but you know, you, you know, you grow up and you've got parents or teachers and stuff that are trying to tell you, this is, this is how things are done. And, and we're preparing you for the world. And so the world's not going to be kind to you. Right. So you get all these messages from mentors or anybody else, right. Growing up, like, this is how you got to keep going. Um, and so I think we are more likely to see ourselves falling short of that. Like mm-hmm. we are, you know, and you know, whatever the society, magazines, television, whatever. I mean, all these pe- things are giving you these messages of the standards that you're supposed to hold yourself to. And even though it's, you can look to your friends and go, come on, that's ridiculous. You know, if you've been growing up sitting there thinking about that, you've been thinking about, oh, well, uh, a, a good person uh, works really hard. A good person never quits. And a good person, um, if they fall, they stand right back up and they keep going. You know, like if you, if you've got all of those sort of messages in your head, um, it can be hard, I think, to remember that if you were talking to a friend, you'd be like, yeah, okay. A person might stand up and keep going, but they might take a little breather first, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like there's nothing wrong with, with, um, saying, take a breath, you know, take a step back and then, and reevaluate and then keep going, you know, or, or take that beat or take, you know, I think we're, we, um, you know, we're, we, you know, we just getting all these messages and our brain always goes to, you know, that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, you start stressing and you fight or flight and you just go to immediately, what do I do to get out of this right now? As opposed to, um, being a little bit, uh, dispassionate, I think, and looking at it as with a little bit of distance. It's, it's, it's a trick. I mean, like, you know, clearly I, I have a hard time doing it as well, um, as I showed myself on Monday, but, um, but, and it's a practice. I don't think, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's something that everybody is perfect at. Like I said, I think I'm pretty shame resilient. Um, but obviously I still have moments when I beat myself up and I think that we all, we all do. I don't think anybody, um, is, is perfect. I'd love to meet that person who is perfect. So <laughs> We just have to keep practicing, right? And we have to just re- be able to remember, um, oh, wait, what am I doing here? Is this, is this really true? You know, I had a really great, um, a really good friend of mine told me a story once um, about she was seeing her therapist after uh, she broke up with her boyfriend. And she was in her therapist's office and she was, you know, in tears and she was sobbing um, about this breakup. And she was kind of going through her own shame thing. Like, it's no wonder nobody loves me. I'm never going to find anybody. I'm not lovable. I'm difficult. And her therapist sat there and listened to her for a while and, you know, let her get it all out. And the only thing her therapist said when she finally sort of was spent was she goes, well, now, honey, you know, you have evidence that suggests otherwise. And I thought that is so powerful, right? Like mm-hmm. you have evidence that suggests otherwise. And, and that works so many times with any, you know, with everything. It's mm-hmm. like, look, you have evidence that suggests otherwise that you're not lazy, that you're not unattractive, that you're not unworthy of love. You're not, you have evidence of this in your life. So take a breath, you know, take, mm-hmm. take a beat and, 
you know, and, and then come at it with a little bit more um, perspective. I think that's, it, it is something that I've thought of a lot ever since she told me that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just sometimes choose not to look at that evidence when we look at the other evidence, right? The hating evidence right. instead. And and I right. think you're right, Karen, because that I, one of the things I talk a lot about is that we are hardwired. Like some of our programming is just in there. And whether it's from family of origin, our culture, magazines, whatever. And it can be that, hey, we want to correct this behavior. So let's just beat down hard on it. Right. And, and right. that, you know, and that was a very common parenting practice is, and not blaming anybody. It was just parent, parents doing the best that they can. I mean, it's done in athletics sure. too. And so re- realizing that oh, just because I'm hardwired that way doesn't mean I'm effective that way. Right. And, and, and exactly. being able to have that perspective and understanding that, ooh, when I start beating myself up, what do I do? You know, what happens? Right, right. 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 And, you know, like, like I said, it, the, the best thing for me is always like, you know, if I saw my daughter or my husband beating themselves up like I was on Monday, like I would have a, t- I would have had a totally different reaction to it than me doing it to myself. And mm-hmm. that doesn't like, logically that doesn't make sense. Right. Like, and I know that if I talked to them about it, I didn't at the time they were, you know, they were at work and school, but if I talked to them, I know that the first thing they would have said was, mom, take, you know, go take a nap. Like mm-hmm. it'll be there. Um, and so being able to kind of distance yourself and go, what would I say to somebody else who, who did, you know, who are, is feeling this way? What was the first thing I would do? That, that, that can help a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you know why, since you are so shame resilient, why that these voices were able to get to you that day? Um, what you mean the, the, the mean, horrible voices? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it was. I was just, I wasn't, um, I was foggy and I was tired. And when I'm tired and exhausted, I never am able to mm-hmm. function at the way that I'd like to function. Um, so I, you know, the, the more shocking question is how was I able to talk myself <laughs> away from those voices? But, mm-hmm. um, and and I think also, you know, this is probably not a, a popular thing to say, but I think a lot of that sort of wisdom of being able to separate yourself and be a little bit of distant and dispassionate comes with experience. Like I think, you know, I don't know if 20 years ago I would have been able to um, to have that conversation that was like, go ahead and go take a nap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it it took it takes a it took a lot of experience of knowing how cranky and crazy I am when I'm too exhausted to know oh, I get what this is about, right? Like, like, I know what this is. This is fatigue, right? Like, that's what's, that's what's going on here. Um, if I were in my 20s feeling like that, I probably would have gone to bed and woken up and still beaten myself up, right, for him mm-hmm. taking the nap. So, um, you know, a lot of it is, is also experience and sort of knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge, I'm, a, I'm passionate about journaling, and I think journaling is a great way to figure that out, right? Because, Especially if you handwrite your journal, I, I'm not. I actually am very anti-typing. I like handwriting because handwriting forces you to to stop and have a little bit of that dispassion. It makes you think about what you're about to say. Yeah, I, I type really quickly, and so I can almost type at the speed of my thought, um, which means that I don't get a whole lot of chance to process it as I'm writing, as I'm committing it. Right. So, um, but so handwriting a journal is a great way for me to kind of. Um, go, oh, you know, and, and plus you have a, a record of, oh, you know what? Every single time I've been that cranky and crazy, it's because I was tired or I was whatever. 
um, I need to be more aware of that the next time. Well, and don't you think one of the things is to be able to go back, circle back and reflect on it, read it, check in Mm -hmm. and notice like this is where I was and this is where I am and, and really look at that, unpackage it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, what's really funny, like I have, I mean, literally dozens of journals, completed journals in my, uh, on my shelf here. And I rarely go back to them, but because I've written them, I remember them pretty well. Right. So like, I'll write something and go, this feels familiar, right? (laughs) Like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so just, I just love the process of just sort of slowing down and forcing yourself to process things as you're, as you're expressing them. Um, that's a really powerful thing, I think, and and so helpful. Maybe that's why I have to go back, because maybe because I just write, and you have such beautiful writing. I've kind of chicken oh. scratch. <laughs> no, everybody's never. You know what? I, I it's so funny because friends of mine will tell me, well, I can't write because I have horrible handwriting. And, but I always say, you know, when your great 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 grandchildren stumble upon your journals in an attic in a dusty attic somewhere, they're going to be charmed by your chicken scratch. Like you know, like no matter what. You're, they're going to be completely charged by it. So you know, all you need is like a little bit of time and distance and you'll see how beautiful your handwriting is. Because <laughs> I don't think my, my handwriting is loopy and it's sort of fun looking, but it's, it's really illegible. Like you can't read it. But um, so it's, it, um, you know, at someday somebody's going to come across them and, you know, blow dust off of them and, and creakle, you know, crack open the yellowed pages and just be completely charmed by my weird ramble, morning ramblings in my journal. <laughs> but, but so you just gave me permission though, because sometimes I'll be like, I need to write this out faster, right? Yeah. But being able to slow down and so I can process and really take it in instead of thinking, how many words per minute can I get on this piece of paper? I sure would be a lot faster if I was just typing this thing. Right, right. Right. And the other thing is like, I literally will be like, what would, like, I might even, because I write very stream of consciousness when I write, mm-hmm. like I, you know, in my journal, I, I'm not, I could not, I could, I couldn't care less about grammar or spelling or anything. I'm just, I'm just getting it on paper. And sometimes I will say like, this is really bugging me, whatever it is. And then I'll say, what would I tell a friend who told me what I just wrote above? And then write the exercise of this is what I would tell my friend. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much better that makes you feel. Like mm-hmm. if you've ever had the, um, the experience where friends, you know, you give friends advice and they're always like, you are so great. You always know what to say. And you think to yourself, well, why can't I do that in my own life? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can, it takes, it just takes stepping away from it. And sometimes that's a great way to do it is to just sort of say, what would I say, you know, write down, what would I say to a person that just told me what I just wrote in that paragraph and then just write it. And a lot of times you, your, your own wisdom is, it can be, can surprise you. I really like that. I really, yeah, really like that. I give that. you permission to do that. <laughs> there we go. I really like that. I did um, the morning pages years ago. And mm. so I would write every morning. But what it, what really was more of was a verbal vomiting and me blaming a lot of people. So mm. while it did feel good, um, it there it wasn't as effective. And I think that's just where I was in my, in my life. So this would be yep. a great way of like, okay, do the verbal vomiting, get it out. And then what do I, you know, what would I tell a friend? Because sometimes, you know, we just need to process it and get it out. But I think I just stopped it with, oh, here, it's all out now. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I think think that's that's actually, I'm going to start doing that myself, like, as a habit now. Like, Mm -hmm. I do it occasionally, but I think maybe that's the way my morning pages, because I do do those. Mm -hmm. Maybe my third page will be advice to me. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) like, maybe that's what I need to do. Yeah, I, I like that. So what is your writing ritual for journaling? 
Do you write every day? Um, I try to write five days a week. I, mm-hmm. I tend not to write on the weekends, but I try to start my day um, journaling, if doing the morning pages, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And preferably with before I've turned the computer on, because once I've turned my computer on, all bets are off. I, I won't get to it. But, um, but I write two pages to stream of consciousness, whatever is you know, on my head. And then my third page is, uh, is just a to-do list of what I need to do again, before I turn my computer on. So it might be, you know, looking at the previous day's to-do list and see what I didn't get to and what's still a priority and then adding whatever other things I want. And then I'll turn my computer on and see what emails come in and if I need to add anything, um, or even subtract anything from it. But, um, but I, I find that if I don't do it, like if I skip a week, I am far more scattered in my day. I forget to do things. I forget deadlines. I forget. Um, I, 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 I will, if I'm more, if I'm, um, stressed about some certain problem, I'm more stressed about it. Like I sort of, um, just, just kind of spin in a circle about it as opposed to even if, even if I can't solve it by, by journaling, I feel like I get some clarity around what the problem is at least, even if I don't have the solution. Um, so I try to do that. It, you know, if I'm on and I'm, you know, doing it the way I want to, and I, you know, I get my kid off to school and I come back and I sit down and I have a cup of tea and I haven't turned on my computer, I can get all of that done between in ten or fifteen minutes, um, and then I just start my day. Uh, but and then I keep my journal with me for the rest of the day. So I uh, I doodle in it if I'm on a conference call. I write down. Um, phone messages. If people come, you know, if somebody calls for my husband, I, I, whatever I, you know, I go out to lunch with a friend and I love the restaurant and I want to remember the restaurant. I write down the name of the restaurant or what I had, you know, like it's literally, if I have to jot it down on a piece of paper, I, I use my journal to do it. Um, so it's really a tool for me. It's, it's very, it's something that's absolutely about, you know, taking all the things in my head and, and codifying it. And how long does this process take you? Uh, well, the, the morning pages, uh, the two, that just takes me 10 or 15 minutes if I, you know, if I haven't turned on my computer. If I turn on my computer, sometimes I get distracted and it'll take an hour. But, mm-hmm. um, but if I, you know, I'm really focused, it's 10 or 15 minutes and that's it. So it, it doesn't take anything. And, and there is, the effect is, is strong. It's really, really positive for me. I love that. Well, mm. thanks for sharing that. So I want to... Um, go back to originally we had talked about permission, right? So here's the shame spiral. So how did the permission come into play in this situation? Well, um, you know, I could have just, I remember thinking at, in the moment, right? Like I'm going to take a nap and I took the nap and then I woke up and I was still tired. And I thought part of me was like, maybe I should take a day off. And then the other part of me was like, I can't take a day off. There's stuff I got to get done. And then I remember like literally saying, Karen, I'm giving you permission to take a day off. And for some reason that made all the difference. Like, like for some reason, knowing that I was telling myself it was okay to do it and that it wasn't unreasonable to do it was made all the difference. And I don't know why I, I, you know, um, Again, maybe it's the talking to, you know, the way you talk to a friend, but it was like, oh, okay. Um, okay. I have permission to do this. This is not me, uh, failing. This is not me, uh, rebelling. This is about me 
doing what everybody in this room and everybody being me, right? Everybody in this room is saying is okay for me to do. Um, so I love the idea. I, you know, I, I think if somebody had told me about, you know, giving yourself permission to do things, uh, I don't know, two years ago, I'd have, I probably would have thought that's insane. You should give yourself permission to do things like you're a grown woman, like do it, you know, but for some reason, actually sort of, um, expressing it in that way to myself like I could I could physically feel the relief you know like oh yeah okay and what was really sort of interesting about this because I live on social media I actually I actually shared a post about it online I, I mean a, a, like a Instagram a Twitter thing and I said I'm giving myself permission and what was so funny was I had all of these responses that were like yeah, you are. And yeah, you should. And good for you. And everybody should give themselves permission to take care of themselves. And, and, um, and one person actually said something like, not only should you give yourself permission, you should demand it of yourself. Right. Like, like, and it was like, Whoa, there's a thought that I should demand that I take care of myself. You know, like it, you know, it was almost validating to hear people go, yeah, of course. Like, naturally you should take care of yourself. You're not going to be able to do anything unless you take care of yourself. Of course you should. Um, so like the, the actual expression of a permission, giving yourself permission is really powerful in a way I would not have realized. Like I said, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. No, I, I give myself permission all the time. I mean, it can be as simple as when I'm coming home at night from the pool deck and knowing that there's emails in my inbox and I walk in and I just give myself permission that I can answer those tomorrow. I don't have to look right. at them right now. Because I know what I need to do is maybe may eating dinner or, you know, taking care of the family or getting myself wound down so that I can get a good night's sleep so that I can go and be of service the next day to people. And if I get those into those email boxes, then I can get wound up, have a bad night's sleep, right. and then right. not be able to be of service the next day. Right. And be less effective. You know, my dad, you know, of, of course, growing up, there, we, there was no email and there mm -hmm. wasn't anything like that. But my dad, who was an executive um, in an oil company, was a complete workaholic. Like he traveled constantly and he worked crazy hours. Like there were times when I would wake up and he'd be gone and I'd go to bed and he wouldn't be back home. Right. Like he was crazy workaholic. But one thing that he always did, and I remember this growing up that I really admired about him was he always took every vacation day that was owed him. And when he was on vacation, he would tell people, don't even try to call me. Like, do not contact me. Imagine I'm dead, right? Mm -hmm. like, like, I am uncontactable. And he wouldn't do anything related to work. So we would take a two-week vacation or whatever, and dad was there 100%. And the lesson that that taught me because it's, I think it's much harder now with email and like people sort of the expectation that with email and cell phones that you are constantly available. Um, but the lesson that taught me is things didn't fall apart while my dad was gone, even though he was working crazy hours while he was there, people managed and things managed. And that's, that's what I keep thinking. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I didn't reprint during this email within five minutes of receiving it, but you know what? That person's not going to die. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. uh, this can wait till tomorrow. They have no idea if I'm in a meeting, they have no idea, right? Like they have no idea what's going on in my life that I'm not getting back to them right away. So I'm just going to let them think whatever they think and I will get back to them <laughs> right? when I get back to them in the first thing in the morning. Right. It'll be the first thing that goes on that to-do list. And I think that's really sort of understanding kind of really what the urgency is. Like we live in a, a society where everything is urgent and I don't mm -hmm. think everything is. I think 
I think we can take a breath. I think it's okay. <laughs> I give everybody permission to take a breath. That's listening to this. <laughs> take a breath. Take a breath. Well, and that's why I think permission and boundaries go hand in hand because when you give yourself permission, right, we feel really empowered. We're doing it ourselves. So we're acting as an emotional adult instead of, oh, can somebody else do it? Even though we're grown women, we're adults, we have responsibilities, we have the logic where we can look at what needs to get done and be responsible. But to give ourselves our own permission, now we're owning our voice. Now we're willing also to accept the consequences of that. Right. That's right. And I think also, like, I mean, if you think about, I love that you tied it with boundaries, because I think that's exactly right. Because if you start letting, like, your boundaries slip with other people, Mm -hmm. what ends up happening, you end up being very resentful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you end up sort of, and I think the same thing is true with ourselves. Uh, Like, if you become, like, sort of a a workaholic, or you become, you set yourself all of these, these, um, these expectations of yourself. I'm going to be the perfect mother. I'm going to be the perfect wife. I'm not going to cut myself any slack. If I cut myself any slack in this, then I am failing. What ends up happening? You start thinking, my husband expects too much of me. My kids, I hate my kids, right? Like you start to really, even though you're the one that has, that's not giving yourself permission to take a breath, right? And to say, this is, this is what I'm going to do. You start to resent everything. And I could totally see it happening to me. As I was sitting there on Monday, not being able to focus, I kept thinking, well, all these people keep asking me to speak. Why don't they just back off? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, like, and it was like, it was everybody else's fault, but mine, right? Like it was, you know, as opposed to, you know what? Take care of yourself. This is okay. You can say no. You can, g- I mm-hmm. give you permission to take care of yourself in whatever that looks like. And, and generally speaking, I think most of us, would not abuse our own permission slips, right? Like I think most of us, we err on the side of expecting way too much about of ourselves in in situations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to give yourself permission to be human, right? You are mm-hmm. allowed to to take a breath. You are allowed to take a day off and feel exhausted. You're allowed to not want to cook tonight for the family. You're allowed, you know, you're allowed to not to not do things perfectly. And that's the problem is we sort of set expectations for ourselves and for the people around us of, of perfection. And there comes a time when you have to go, you know what, I don't have to be perfect because that's not what I'm wired to be. We're not. None of us are, right? We're not <laughs> wired to be perfect. So, you know, it, cut yourself some slack. It's unattainable, period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we can't be, you know? I mean, I wish. Okay. Perfection would be cool, but... You know, it, it, it doesn't happen. And frankly, when I'm not striving for perfection, I'm a much nicer person anyway. I get, mm-hmm. I feel like I get closer to perfection when I'm not striving for perfection. So um, weirdly. Well, and you know, one of the things, so whether it's, you know, having boundaries or being compassionate or taking care of ourselves, I have clients, you know, because I work with high achieving people and mm-hmm. who've really been striving, you know, hustling for approval and, and thinking that once I'm perfect, then I'll finally prove myself and I will feel grounded and they're just exhausted when they come to me. And, um, but when you are compassionate, their big concern is, well, then I'm just going to sit on the couch, eat bonbons and have a Netflix binge. And what really happens, like when you really take care of yourself, you're in line with your own integrity. I mean, if you're a high achieving person anyways, you're going to want to do stuff because you're, we're hardwired. We want, it's, it's like, Trying to tell a toddler that they can't stand up and crawl or walk. They're like, no, I want to move. Look at me. I I stood up. Oh, I fell down. Okay, I stood up again. We are hardwired to learn and to grow and to master things. And so we're not going to 
just stay on that couch. I think we stay on that couch when we're in that shame storm and we're listening to those voices. And then we right. overdo it. And then we lie and call it compassion or we lie and call it boundaries, right? We dress it up as that, but that's not really what it is underneath. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, as you say this, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking to myself, you know, um, yeah, there's, of course, there's the temptation that you're going to, you know, like you said, Netflix binge mm-hmm. and eat the bonbons. Um, but pretty, and maybe that's what you need, right? Like, mm-hmm. right on, like sit down and, and watch House of Cards for the next 15 hours and eat bonbons. That's awesome. But eventually you're going to be like, okay, enough. Like, I got to get up, right? Yep. And I think that that sort of is true. Like, I've actually been exper- experimenting with that in um, in other aspects of my life. Like, I made a decision about a year ago that I was going to, I needed to get in shape. Like, I had not been doing anything and it was time for me to get in shape. But what I decided was that, first of all, like I had a goal in mind, right? Like my goal of what weight I wanted to be or whatever else was in mind, but that really what was more important was the ritual, right? And so it's like, so basically you think, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds, right? Uh, so what does that mean? It means I'm going to watch what I eat and I'm going to exercise, right? So then you forget the 20 pounds and you just watch what you eat and your exercise and you have a sort of a ritual of that. And the ritual will get you somewhere, right? Like it's going to be a change. And so for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I want to, you know, I want to lose whatever X amount of pounds is what I want to do, but here's what I'm not going to do. I am not, I don't have a sweet tooth. I, I never have had a sweet tooth and I don't eat junk food. So I'm not going to do some crazy diet. Like I, I told myself, I am not going to cut out all white things or all green things or all whatever the latest, greatest thing is. I'm just going to be mindful. I'm going to be mindful of what I put in my mouth. I'm going to be mindful of moving every day. And that was it. And for the first time in my life, I have been able to do it. And a lot of it has been because sometimes I've woken up and thought, yeah, I'm not in the mood to go work out today. So I'm not going to go work out today, but I'm still going to, I'm still mindful that I want to take care of myself, but my body's just not feeling it today. Inevitably what happens is the next day I go, how do I feel? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to go work out again. Or I'm like, watch what I eat for five days a week. But I'm like, you know what? On weekends, I'm out with friends. I'm not going to be the person that sits there and go, I can only have steamed this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go have a meal. Right. And chances are after I've done that, I'm like, okay, I can go back. And I think that that's really interesting. Like what you said, that eventually you will get to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be the person that sits around eating bonbons all day. I'm not going to be the person that stays in bed for weeks at a time. If I'm feeling, you know, there's another thing if you're in depressed or something like that, but if you're, you know, know that you're just exhausted or whatever. I'm not going to stay in bed for a week. I th- honestly thought I was going to stay in bed all day long that day. And eventually I was like, you know what? I really should go put something in the wash. I can do that and come back into bed, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and so I put things in the wash and I got back into bed. And so like, it was like, okay, you, you, you're going to want to do something. You're generally, you're going to want to do it. And if you don't want to do something, there may be something deeper there, right? Like it's more than, but it's not about your laziness. It's about you know, something's going on, something's wrong and being really sort of intuitive with what's going on inside of you and taking care of, taking care of yourself, I think is highly, highly underrated. Oh, I, yeah. I really, do. I think it's highly underrated. It might be, it might be the secret to life is mm-hmm. <laughs> figuring out how to take care of your mind, your body, your spirit, just like, and what, and listening to both all three of those things and how it wants to be taken care of. Like, I think that's, I think, 
I think that's the secret to life. I think that's our next topic for our next conversation because <laughs> we can spend 45 <laughs> minutes on that. For sure. Well, so, you know, one of the things I want to go back to your eating and then, um, but when it sounds like you moved out of like, you know, this in the diet world, it's so much about being in the scarcity culture, right? You can't do this. It has to be restricted. Da, da, da. And really it's just about how can we be grounded? How can we be in a compassionate space where there's, it's loving. And I always remind my clients that compassionate people have boundaries, right? And that yeah. goes back to that idea of boundaries are a container of safety. Because yeah. it's about how do I take care of myself? How do I want to show up for myself? How do I want to treat myself? Right? Who do I want to surround myself with? Right. And so they're containers right. of safety. They're not, you know, sometimes I think, I used to think, because I was much more black and white, that boundaries were like the, you know, the Berlin Wall. <laughs> Here you go. Right. You can never cross it. <laughs> yes. You shall not pass. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And then it was, well, how about their fence posts? And I can let people into the gate and not. But then I really like this container of safety for me because like our homes are a boundary. They keep us, you know, safe from the weather conditions. Yep. And so they're containers yep. of safety for us. And so what permission do we need to, and sometimes it's for me even just saying, I give myself permission that it's okay to have a boundary. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's big. And the other thing I think of is also um, when people have boundaries with me, there are in in many instances, it's a relief, you know. Like it's sort of like I know where I stand with this person, and um, and I love that they trusted me enough to let me know that, and uh, and now I know, you know, I know how to work mm -hmm. with this person, and I think that's um, sometimes a, a boundary can be one of the kindest things you can do with other people, and so why not yourself? Mm. Why not yourself? You know, I love that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm very, um, you know, I, I'm very, very careful. I, I am very, well, I mean, I'm an introvert, first of all. So I think when it comes to boundaries with other people, we introverts kind of, you know, naturally are easy to put boundaries with, you know, it's, it's naturally easier for us. But, um, but I think it, I've, I have rarely had a, a situation where I have, set up a boundary with someone else with kindness where it wasn't received in that way. And so why not us? So why not us? Why not? My boundary is that at 6 PM I stop working or my boundary is that I um, will go outside and get some fresh air every single day. And that is you know, inviolable that the, that people have to respect that. And I'm going to make sure that that happens to me because I know the consequences if I don't do these things, I know how this will affect me. I think that's awesome. I think, I think it's necessary. It's certainly what I would want to raise my daughter to believe in herself. So why not me? Mm -hmm. And the, the other thing is I give the listeners permission to practice and you're going to make a lot of mistakes with boundaries, you know, because yep. really it's as you go through it, you start to learn and then you go, oh, that was a bit more like the Berlin Wall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, right. Maybe that wasn't effective. How can I change this? Because we're all learning. I mean, boundaries. And I don't know if you see this, but in the work that I do, I see that people really have a hard time with boundaries. It's just yes. not in work environments. It's not in work cultures. It's not in relationships, families. And so boundaries, people just don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, I, it could be just because of where I, I work, but I feel like in this internet, culture mm -hmm. like it's become even more crazy mm -hmm. like it's sort of like 
everything is reality TV, right? <laughs> so we share everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's times when I will say, you know, I'll be on Facebook or something and somebody will share something about their lives. That, and I, my immediate thought is, do they not have any close friends? Like, this mm-hmm. is something that, like, that's heavy what you just shared here. And not, uh, um, and not any, everybody on your Facebook page has earned the right to have heard that story mm-hmm. and to be there with you. You know, you know, like, like, I feel like boundaries are something that it are, are really sort of falling by the wayside to the detriment of people, um, particularly because of, you know, this, you know, every, there's reality TV and that's what makes money and everything is, we all have a right to know everything. And um, I am very, very anti that personally. And then I say this as somebody who, who makes a living online, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I write a blog and I do a lot of stuff that's completely online, but I have some very clear boundaries um, in my life. I'm, I am hyper aware of my boundaries. That I that I have in my life, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, you you have a radio show, and um, there are certain things that people have earned the right to hear, and there are certain stories that people haven't heard the right to hear, and that's not um, selfish, um, and that's not mean. That's just that's that's fact. That's that's how you function. I think. Well, that was challenging for me because uh, growing up, I was really good on putting on images, and there was a lot of shame mm-hmm. in, in my family of origin. And then going into college, I learned and I was like, oh, well, authenticity. And, you know, so I thought authenticity meant sharing your story from the rooftops. And, mm. and then I have a belief that, you know, we're, we're all equal. I want to treat everybody equal. I don't like this tearing system. So all mm. of that, you know, led to probably overshare because I didn't know yeah. how to do it. And I didn't have the appropriate boundaries in place. And I can just tell you this, Karen, that saying of what Brene has of, you share your story with somebody who's earned the right to hear it is like yeah. the ultimate permission slip because it allows me to go, who has earned this right? And it doesn't yeah. mean that they're a better person than somebody else. It just means that we've established certain boundaries within this relationship so they can be a safe place. Right, and, right. And, and, the, and they've, they've, you guys have proven yourselves mm-hmm. to each other to be safe for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, somebody who has not proven that to you doesn't make them bad. It just, they may not have gotten there yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, they just haven't earned it yet. And I think that's huge. I think that's everything. Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that, those are like my guidelines now, because I always want to be authentic and be in line with my integrity. But I always ask myself, who's earned the right to hear my story. And if I don't share my story with you, it doesn't mean I'm not being authentic. Right. It's just not appropriate Right. right now. You know, because right. maybe one day it will be, maybe it won't. But right now, it's just not appropriate, and that's okay. Right, right, and, and and it always shocks me that people don't get that. I have I had a very good friend of mine who was a blogger many years ago, and um, and she she and her husband split up, mm-hmm. and she chose not to share that online. Right, she was like, it was a tra- tra- a traumatizing time, so she would share other things. Like it wasn't like she would um. She wouldn't pretend that things were great with herself and her husband. He just stopped featuring on her site very often. And she wrote about different things. And when people found out that she was actually like they had separated, like there was a, a anger online. Mm-hmm. How dare she lie to us? And it was like nobody, where was their lying? Like nobody, she, she chose that her divorce was something that she wanted to deal with privately. And I really feel like people sort of, feel entitled to know everything about you nowadays, especially mm-hmm. on the internet. And, um, 
And I think we should rage against that. Like you said, like, I think we should only tell stories with two people who have earned that right, for sure. Well, and I, I think what happens, because I think I know who you're talking about, and I think what happens, because she shared it now, is that we think that authentic means I'm a totally open book, right? Yeah. And, yep. and when you're going, like you share your story, but you also share your story when, you know, especially when it's strangers, I don't know if this is your boundary, but after you've done your work and you've been able to process it, where you're not raw, right? Where And so mm-hmm. when you're, when she's going through that divorce, I could see why, because she doesn't need a whole bunch of input or pity or whatever it may be from other people. It's about her yep. and her family and what they're going through in that time. And so do right. people do have that right to privacy? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Karen, our time has come to an end. So I'm so excited that you're going to be a recurring guest on my show. So thank you. Oh, I'm honored. I love I love being here. And um, I thank you so much because this is such a beautiful conversation about permission and boundaries and great examples for the listeners to you know be able to wrap their minds around. So thank you so much. Yeah, I hope everybody out there gives themselves permission to be kind to themselves, for sure. <laughs> Definitely worthwhile. <laughs> All right. One thing I want to circle back to in that conversation that we did, she mentioned that I didn't really highlight was when Karen gave herself permission to just finally rest and stop trying to be perfect and do it all and rest, what happened on day two? And that's important because that's the whole part of the story, right? The part of there was the story of I'm lazy, I'm irresponsible, I'm letting myself down. It's no wonder these things go this way. You know, something is wrong with me. How many of you experienced that voice? But then she gave herself permission. And then day two, she woke up and did great. She did all her stuff. She, you know, she had a lot of lot to do or a lot to give in her life. And think about that for yourself. So often we judge that one small moment and we'll use that to define ourselves instead of looking, how does the whole story evolve? And remember, one of the things that I asked her is, why were you, especially somebody who's shame resilient, able to hear those voices? What was it? And she said, I was tired. So that's the whole story. There's the beginning, there's the middle, and then there's the end. And really taking a look at that. Instead, what we tend to do is look at that one day, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. I just didn't do much. I couldn't get it together. I should be able to. I had a good night's sleep. Why Why don't I? And I call that the transactional mindset, right? It's very different than going to the coffee shop, putting in your order, and then getting your order. You expect to get it. You don't expect, oh, I'm going to place my order and maybe today, maybe tomorrow, or maybe next week, I'll get my coffee. We would never go to coffee shops like that. But that can be how our bodies work and that can be how our lives are. So a lot of times it's more about planting seeds. We're not transactional to let go of transactional relationships with ourselves. So looking at that whole story of what goes on and realizing that we all have these voices, right? And we can we can choose to attach to them or we can choose to stop. And one other thing that she said that was really important, she, she said it a few times, was she has experience and she's been practicing this. So it's easier to step away and, and stop for a second while she's in it. And I know from my clients, when they first are trying to practice this, they get really mad and start to then use that to beat themselves up because I couldn't stop the shame storm while it was happening. You're noticing it. That may be the first step for you. Over time, as you practice, you create a much better awareness. It's kind of like driving. 
I always like to talk about when I was my 15 and a half year old self and taking that right turn five miles an hour and how scary that was. And I couldn't do anything else but that. And now I can get in the car and I can handle so much more because I've had a lot of practice. So I invite you to practice. And then I want to talk about now the boundaries as a container of safety. I just love that. And so thinking about what is your story about boundaries? Because maybe you think it's a really bad thing. Maybe you shouldn't have it. I know at some point I didn't think that boundaries were good. I mean, when you don't really grow up with certain boundaries, it doesn't make sense to have boundaries. But for me now, boundaries are a container of safety. It's about here are the agreements that we have to be able to have conversation so that or that we're going to have in our relationship or have in our workplace so that we can show up in our lives. So thinking about boundaries, what does boundaries mean for you? And how can you create safety with the boundaries so that you can show up and have the hard conversations, be willing to show your love and be vulnerable? Um, there are many different situations. Who are the people that you want inside those boundaries? Who are the people that maybe you want out? And it doesn't mean they're bad people or that you're better. It's just who's earned the right to hear those your stories and who has those connections. So really being thoughtful about that. I want to share a story about when we were talking about the compassion piece and she used that example. But I years ago, because I had the story that TV is really bad and, you know, I was hardwired with this, that, you know, stupid people watch TV and I really enjoy TV. I really, really like it. And one year, it was January 1st, I think, and there was this new season coming out and I was exhausted. I'd worked really hard worked through the holidays and just exhausted. And I was excited. I had this day on my calendar. I wound up watching nine hours of television, nine hours. And I loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I couldn't get enough. Well, of course I couldn't. I was so deprived. I was so exhausted. I was living in that scarcity mindset. And I remember having this thought come through my head. How am I going to live my life? I found this new channel and I want to watch everything. It's never going to be enough for me. It doesn't, I, what am I going to do? I was so living in that scarcity mindset that I couldn't see. And I thought I was so afraid. I thought, oh no, my life is over. I'm going to come to ruin because I'm not going to be able to work because I found this channel and I don't have discipline. These are all the stories. So the next day I wound up watching, I think about four hours of television. And by the next day I was over it. I was restless. I wanted to get back to my work. I was filled up. And so I had to, and as I've learned over time to be better with boundaries and be better about taking care of myself, I don't need those you know, 13 hours of television, but I do give myself permission to watch television. And so after that experience, like I started to notice, you know, on Thursday nights, I used to try to push through. I had my radio show the next day. You know, there was always more to do. I need to work more. I would stay up until like 11 o'clock at night and I was just exhausted. And I go into work the next day exhausted. I was just in a constant state of exhaustion. And so I said, well, you know, it's Thursday night. I really want to watch this show. It's must-see TV. And I said, okay, I will give myself permission just for this show, just for Thursday night. And then I noticed that I was getting my work done sooner and I was getting it all done instead of pushing it out till 11 o'clock. Again, a container of safety. It gives me boundaries to get stuff done instead of, oh, whenever, and then I can get lost on social media or try to make something more perfect. So I get done by eight o'clock and I go watch my television. It was great. And it didn't open this cascade of, oh my gosh, I have to watch tons of TV every single day. 
you know, and it was something that I'd play with because there were sometimes it was a bit too much. And then I had to check in what was going on underneath. Was I, was this really entertainment and fun or was it a way for me to hide? And now, you know, I do, I own it. I like TV. There's some that's, you know, not so great TV, but I still like it. And there's some that I just really enjoy. And I give myself permission to like it and I don't judge it. And it's my form of entertainment. And then last night, you know, the television's new season premieres are coming out and thank goodness I have TiVo and I really wanted to watch it, but I wasn't done with my stuff. And so I just said, it's okay. I can get it done. I can watch it tomorrow night. And I let that be. And so I really have boundaries around it and I don't have shame because I used to have so much shame about television. And I want to wrap up with the journaling piece. And I'm so thankful. One of the reasons I ask questions the way that I do is because when somebody gives an answer and says, oh, I journal, immediately I go, oh, well, they're so fantastic and amazing. They must do it perfectly and must do it seven days a week for 30 minutes. And, you know, with just, and I know how Karen, she does have beautiful handwriting. So it must look like this and, you know, and I make it so unattainable. So then that's, of course, justifying why I can't do it and she can. So I loved how she said five days a week. She doesn't do it perfectly. And um, she said that she tries to do it before she opens up her computer. And so that is an example. We don't have to do it perfectly. Just start creating a, a ritual. So thank you for listening. And I just want to remind you that we're building a community at How She Really Does It. Go there to sign up. It's free. You'll receive a weekly newsletter as well as an opportunity to connect. And you never know. You may email me a question and it may be answered in the newsletter because you guys give me some great information to work with, or I can go find a guest to help with that. So I invite you to join us. And a special thanks to Karen for joining us. I love this conversation and I'm looking forward to many more. Until next time, remember, we all have struggles and uncertainty. You are not alone and I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.